I've titled today's message, Proud, Prouder, and Proudest. Now, I have shared with one or two before church that asked me, who are you talking about? And I said, me. But the question is not whether I'm proud. The question is whether I'm the prouder or the proudest. That's where I seem to float. Uh, I've heard it said that when a minister gets up into the stands, he is to hold like a painting of Jesus Christ. And he holds that painting in front of him so you don't see anything. You just see Jesus Christ. And maybe you'll see a couple fingertips on the right and the left. And if you see anything more than him, that's too much. Because we're here to exalt Jesus Christ. Well, I'd like to say that's my desire this morning, but I think part of it is is I want to hide behind that painting. I don't want you to see me. Because as I've studied this out, this is my third go-round. We spent some time talking about pride on Wednesday night. I've been actually using this as a lesson in a logic class to try to teach this to students um, about pride. Let me try to explain where I'm going with this particular message and what I was doing not only in a logic classroom, but also in a Wednesday night service. When you study a subject, there is a big difference between the definition, the manifestation, the cause and effect, and the cure. Let me give you an example. Let's pretend someone had a cold. Okay, a cold would be the subject we're talking about. That cold would be manifested by a sneeze. The cold would be caused by a germ or a virus. And the consequence of that cold is you might miss a day of work or school or church. And the cure would be rest, lots of fluids, vitamin C. But sometimes when you get into more complicated subjects like regeneration and justification and sanctification and propitiation and all those other five and six syllable words, you still need to approach it in the same way. There's a definition, there's a manifestation, there's a cause and effect, and then there's a cure. Most of the time the cure is the blood of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at the subject of pride, and the first thing I would like to do is define the term. Now pride is a very unusual word, or a very unusual sin, for a lot of reasons. The first thing is, is there's a lot of sins where you just finally, just there, there, there's a natural level where you just got to stall out for a little while. Like for instance, let's suppose your sin is gluttony, right? Sooner or later, and I'm thinking maybe on a Thanksgiving, you get to a point where you go, oh, that's it, I can't take anymore. Or maybe it's drunkenness where you drink and drink, but there comes a point where you just pass out. But with pride, there's no limit. It just keeps going. Well, there's another thing that's unique about this because pride can be fueled by anything. It can be fueled by sin, but it also can be fueled by obedience. And pride is incredibly deceptive. Man, I can see it in somebody else a mile off. Looking in the mirror, I'm oblivious to it. And you know what? Pride never goes dormant. It's always there, ready to bite you. And the last thing is, is I find interesting, is, you know, a lot of sins, you know, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Do you think angels give a, root, give a flip about money? Do you think they give a flip about a nice car? No, they just go zip, zip, zip. They don't even need a car, right? 
So those things don't get angels, but you know what? Pride gets angels. So it gets spiritual beings and mortal beings. Well, it doesn't matter if you're spiritual or mortal. It doesn't matter if you're a king or a servant. Pride's still there. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. It doesn't matter if you're in the church or you're not in the church. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher, student, a parent, a child. You know what? It gets all of us. It's a pretty comprehensive sin. And it is at the root of being at one accord in a a church. And it is at the root of disharmony in a church. I want to do one more thing before I dive into the scripture in in a heavy way of really getting a hold of the sin. And what I'd like to do is read the antithesis. That's a fancy word of saying the opposite of pride. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13? And I want to read the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 13, except I'm going to monkey with the text. We know 1 Corinthians 13 is the charity chapter. What I'm going to simply do is take out charity and put in pride and then flip everything. If it has a knot, I'm going to take out the knot. If it doesn't have a knot, I'm going to put in the knot. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have pride, I have become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith, all faith that I could remove mountains and do it pridefully, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and do it in pride, it profiteth me nothing. Pride is not long-suffering, it is unkind, it envieth, it vaunteth itself, is puffed up, it behaveth itself unseemly, it seeketh her own, it is easily provoked, and thinketh evil. So if I was to use 1 Corinthians 13 as a definition of pride, it would go something like this. It's impatient, it bullies, it's jealous, it lifts up, it's self-important, it's mean, it's selfish, it's hypersensitive, and it's cynical. So that's why I want to take that painting of Jesus in the hold, and I want to duck behind it. And if I can get my fingers, and maybe I can hold the metal string behind it, I don't even have to show my fingers. Well, that's what we're dealing with. And I do believe it's the root of nearly every sin. I think it's the root of every conflict between husband and wife, between parent and child, between member and member, between co-workers, between neighbors, between in-laws, between whatever you want to fill in the blank. So this is a pretty serious subject. Now, when I looked at the word pride and proud, the word shows up a lot, um, nearly 100 times. You know, when I'm looking at a word that shows up 100 times, I'm thinking of words like church and baptism, words that are pretty important, and I see the word pride shows up as many of those, not even counting their synonyms. It talks about pride a lot, New Testament and Old Testament, because it knew it was going to be our problem. So let's go through this, and what I like to do is I want to define pride. Zephaniah 2.10. This shall they have for their pride, because they have reproached and magnified themselves. That's a pretty good definition of pride. You know, you magnify yourself. You know, when you put a magnifying, you make it look bigger. Well, pride is making yourself look bigger. Ezekiel 16.56, For thy sister Sodom was not mentioned by thy mouth in the day of thy pride. I want to talk to you about Sodom. Have you, in our modern culture, we have a pride flag and we have a pride day. 
What was Sodom guilty of? Saying, God, we don't thumb on their nose at God. We don't care about your commandments. And matter of fact, we're proud we don't care about your commandments. Does that sound familiar? Jeremiah 48, 29. We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceeding proud, lofty, arrogant, and his pride and haughtiness. That's a pretty good definition of it right there. Daniel 5.20, but when his heart was lifted up, his mind was hardened in pride. You know, that's having a lifted up heart, and, you know, they don't want to hear anything. But, but you need, I don't, want, don't, I don't want to hear. I don't care. I don't want to hear. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the God, where's God say? I know what I'm doing. That's pride. Hardened mind. And then 1 Timothy 3, 6, not a novice, lest being up, lifted up with pride, he falleth in temptation. And this, another word of pride is someone that's really ignorant of God's word, ignorant of truth, ignorant of world, world, ignorant of experiences. And you know what? I know I've never been through it, but I know. Okay. Here's the dictionary definitions. And you'll find out that the dictionary difference is pretty close to the antithesis. Antithesis of 1 Corinthians 13, but it's also what we just read. The Oxford English Dictionary says it's high or lofty opinion of oneself. It's a love of display or ostentation. I want everybody to pay attention to me. Webster's 1828. Inordinate self-esteem and unreasonable conceit in one's own talents. Those are the primary definitions. Okay. So let's go to the next thing. Let's talk about manifestations. What's a manifestation? It is a symptom, right? If someone has a cold and they sneeze, that's a symptom of a cold. But be careful with symptoms. What happens if I sneeze and you go, oh, Brother Dolph's got a cold and we're going to not let him go to church and we're not going to let him go to work or we're not going to let him go to school or we're not going to let him go out in public and we're going to put him to bed and make him drink fluids. But you know what? Maybe I just walk by a dusty piece of furniture. You understand? So we've got to be careful when we have a definition, when we have a manifestation. Because what is the cure to the dust? Clean the furniture, right? But what's the cure to a cold? So you can't jump to a conclusion about a symptom. Symptom could be a variety of things. Jeremiah 13, 15. Hear ye and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. So what happens is, is someone that's pride just can't be taught. They're unteachable. That's a proud person. Just won't listen. Proverbs twenty one twenty four, Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. Proud person does a lot. He gets mad. Or she gets mad. They get mad. Amen? That's a pride person. Things aren't going my way. Why? Because it's all about me. It's not going my way. That's, that's part of pride. Anger is a symptom of pride. 1 John 2.16, For all that it is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. What happens is a prideful person becomes more and more worldly. You see worldliness in them. Psalm 10.2, The wicked in his pride thus persecute the poor. They bully people, pride people, bully people, okay? 
Psalm 10.4, the wicked through pride will not seek after God, but God is not in all his thoughts. The proud person doesn't care what the word of God says. The proud person is not seeking after God. It's the humble person that seeks after God. You know what a pride person is? A pride person has the wrong God. You know who their God is? Me. King Saul. Oh, when I think of pride and I go to the Oxford English Dictionary and I look, you know, there's a picture of King Saul. Okay, let me give you some of the things that was typical of King Saul. King Saul was in a place where he made a sacrifice. And the Bible says, people from Benjamin ought not be making sacrifices. The only one that should be making a sacrifice are the Levites. And you know what he did? He made a sacrifice. And Samuel comes walking up to him and he says, you made a sacrifice. And this was his response. He says, it's your fault. Thou camest not within the days appointed. In other words, he wouldn't accept responsibility. Always an excuse. That's a prideful person. That's why when I talked about this subject, I got the proud there. That's, that's, that's me. Really, the question is, is am I the prouder or the proudest? That's where I'm struggling. That's where I live. It's their fault. There was a second time. He didn't learn from the first occasion. He made another sacrifice. And you know what he says? The people did it. Again, still shucking responsibility, the blame game. The victim mentality, the blame game. That's a proud person. Here's another one. He wanted to look good. So finally, after he made a sacrifice, and Samuel says, no, no, stop passing the buck. It's your fault. And he said, okay, 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 okay. I know, I, I, get, I, I did it. I was wrong. I should have done it. And he says, now, Samuel, walk with me in front of all the elders so they think it's cool. I want to look good. You know what? That's pride. I want to look good. Here's another one. I want to look the best. What did he get upset at David about? Because the girls were singing, David slew his ten thousands and Saul slew his thousands. How dare they give more honor to that little punk teenager, David. And he got angry. That's pride. That's pride. It's jealousy. Here's another example. You reject his will, God's will. God was talking to Samuel and he says, I need you to go anoint uh, David. And Saul says, I can't. If I go do something like that, Saul will kill me. He didn't care about God's word. He was just worried about himself. What do you mean, get another king to replace me? That ain't going to happen. That's pride. And the last one was his son, Jonathan. He wanted to kill David. And Jonathan went to his dad and he says, Dad, you want to kill David? Why? He is the most loyal soldier you have ever had. And Saul said, I don't care about facts. I want to kill him. I don't like him. And then what did he do? He chunked a javelin at his own son. So these are manifestations of pride. We've defined pride, meaning full of yourself, which shows up in a variety of different ways. And now I want to talk about the consequences of pride. I cannot find one time in the Bible where someone exercised pride and it turned out good. But we keep trying. Don't we? What are you trying to do? You're trying to prove yourself. And every time we exercise pride, we're doing it because we want to lift ourselves And the opposite, we get tore down. When will we ever learn? 
Okay, let's look. This is the consequences of pride. Number one, Job 40 and 11. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold, everyone that is proud, and abase him. Level him. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction. We know that one, don't we? And a haughty spirit before a fall. Y'all, that's not a good end. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low. Notice the contrast, and honor shall uphold the humble spirit. The way up is down, and the way down is up. Sounds counterintuitive, but that's the way it works with pride and humility. Jeremiah 50, 31 and 32, behold, I am against thee. One of the results of being proud is God is going to be against thee. And I don't care how many you have on your side. You maybe got a million people. Maybe you got 300 million people in the nation of America. And I'm with the 300 million. And God is against you. Guess who's going to win? I'm going with the one, not the 300 million. Verse 32, and the most proud shall stumble and fall. And I think I've got one more here. Zechariah 9, 6. I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. Y'all, the result of pride is not good. But we keep trying, don't we? Cheap trying to lift ourselves up. It's a whole lot better when we let God do it. Haman. Remember Haman? He's in the book of Esther. He's probably the primo example of going up is down and down is up. If you remember him, he was the second-hand man under King Artaxerxes. And what happened was, is he saw this Jew named Mordecai, and he hated Mordecai. And he was so upset at Mordecai. So what happened was, is Mordecai did the king a favor and actually saved his life. And boy, God is so perfect in his working through things. But in that particular account, the king was looking and thinking, there's a man I want to honor. What should I do for him, Haman? And Haman thought he was talking about him. And he says, oh, give him a fancy robe and put him on a a nice horse and parade him through people with soldiers behind him and all this pomp because he thought he wanted that was going to be done to him. And King Artaxerxes says, Good idea. Get Mordecai and do it. So the good he wanted to do to himself was done to Mordecai. But on the flip side, he hated Mordecai, and he was actually building a gallows to hang him. And guess what the king did? He put Haman on the gallows. So the good Haman wanted for himself was done to his enemy, and the evil that he wanted to do the enemy was done to Haman. That's how God works. When you're being prideful, he will abase you. And when you're being abased and humble, he will exalt you. And that's exactly what happened there. And I want you to notice that phrase shows up at least four times in Scripture. It shows up in Luke 18, 14. It shows up in James 4, 10, 1 Peter 5, 6, and also in Luke 14, 11. You exalt yourself, you're going to be abased. You humble yourself, you're going to be exalted. But we keep trying to exalt ourselves. Even though it never works, it never has worked. We keep trying. What are the cause of pride? 
the cause of pride? Well, let's see what Scripture has to say. Number one, Habakkuk 2.5. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire is hell, and his death cannot be satisfied. You know what are the causes of pride? is discontent. Discontent. If you've been given a certain amount of responsibilities, you want more. If you've been getting a certain amount of money, you want more. If you get a certain find of beauty, you want more. First Timothy six four, he is proud knowing nothing. I got news for you. I know some PhDs that are pretty prideful too. But what kind of thing do you need to know? What you need to know is God's word and God's will. Truth. Amen? So ignorance can cause pride. Isaiah 28, 3, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden under feet. That's the result of it. And the drunkenness doesn't have to be a literal drunkenness with alcohol. It could be not only necessarily with drugs. You can be drunk on um, pornography. You can be drunk on lust. You can be drunk on trying to get money. You can be drunk on trying to get power. You can be drunk on trying to get letters after your name and education. Those are ways you can be drunk. That causes pride. Jeremiah 49, 16. Thy terribleness hath deceived thee and the pride of thine heart. Remember in the beginning we talked about pride and it's easy to see it in another, but it's hard to see it in yourself. It's self-deception. 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world. You know what? Hanging around with the world will cause it too. Let's talk about an angel, a Pharisee, and a pastor. You're probably thinking, where's the homemaker? Where's the high school student? Yes? Where's the carpenter? Well, they're covered in all this. In Isaiah 14, 13, and 14, I'm going to show you that passage in a couple minutes. But Satan resented God's authority. He was discontent with the responsibilities given him. I've jokingly over the years talked about the me monster. The mean monster are speeches that are loaded with me, myself, and I. My guess is if you can stop and replay, and if the ratio of me, myself, and I is more than one out of six words is a me, myself, or I, my guess is the pride is just eating you up. And there's about 20 people that gave those kind of soliloquies throughout Scripture. It never turned out for one of them. So, discontent. Here is the Pharisee. Remember the Pharisee prayed with himself? It said prayed thus with himself. How do you do that? And I wonder, I wonder if he answered himself. But he prayed thus with himself. I am not as this man over here. I tithe. I give to the poor. I am so hallowed. I am your gift to the world, God. That's the pride. And here is the pastor, a man named Diotrephes in 3 John 9. It says, he loveth to have preeminence. He had to be the show. Everything had to be about him. He needed to be the center of attention. Everything had to go through him. Doesn't matter what the church does, what he says goes. No, it's what God says goes. And John named him. And he says, watch out for this preacher. Gaius, he's a good dude. 
Diotrephes, stay clear. Demetrius, he's a good preacher. Watch out for this guy. He'd love to have preeminence. Cures. What are the cures to pride? I sure wish it was good as rest and fluids and vitamin C. But it's not. Everybody's smiling. Oh, I wish so many sins could be taken care of with an aspirin. Oh, that would make life so easy. But it doesn't work that way. Second Chronicles 32.26 Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. Humility is a cure for pride. But everything fuels pride. Even humility can fuel pride, right? Even obedience. Psalm 10.4 The wicked through pride will not seek after God nor his thoughts. This will help your pride. Saturate yourself with God's will and the way he thinks. That'll take care of it. You know what blows my mind? Jesus Christ, the sinless man, never exercised pride. How'd that happen? Isn't that something? And I think, boy, I wish I could be like that. Oh, was that prideful or was that not? I don't know. He never did. And no matter how much we're eaten up by it, Jesus' blood is even stronger than the sin of pride. So there's hope. But we still want to conquer it because we want to say thank you. Can you imagine living one hour with never exercising pride? One hour. I almost said one day, but I don't think I can make one day. One hour. Can I make one day? Hour. Maybe if I slept the whole time. I don't know. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way. Fearing God is a good way to cure pride. Proverbs 16.19, better is a humble spirit with lowliness than to divide the spoil with the proud. There's that humble word again. 1 Peter 5.5, be subject to one another, be clothed with humility, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You know what? Be subject to one another. You know, if you're exercising pride, you're going to want to dominate someone else. If you're being submissive and being subject to one another, that is a way to overcome pride. Let's talk about Saul. We already talked about Saul, and we talked about six ways, playing the victim, blaming others, trying to be the showboat. Right? This is how you overcome it. Samuel was having a discussion with King Saul. This is after he messed up several times. And he says, You know what? Once upon a time, thou was little in thine own sight. Right now, you're not. You want to be big in everybody else's sight. But there was a time where you were a humble guy and you were little in your own sight. That's the kind of king God picked. The king you are now, I gotta remove him from the throne. See, the way up is down, the way down is up. Yes? And then in 1 Samuel 9 21, when Saul first came to, I'm sorry, when um, Samuel first came to Saul, and he says, You're gonna be king, God picked you out. You know what was It's about time you recognized my talent. Well, that's not what he said. He said, I am of the smallest tribe and the least family. Why did you pick me? You know what? Sounds like just the right king that God picked out. The way up is down, the way down is up. 
And then one more. Here it is, 1 Samuel 11, 12 and 13. There was a time where there were some people that were really bad-mouthing King Saul, and he had the opportunity. The people said, let's take him out. And Saul said, nope, no one's going to die. We just had a great big victory. No one's dying today. And he showed grace and mercy. Y'all, that's the cure to pride. Humility, grace, and mercy. Let's go through some illustrations. First person I want to look at, Nebuchadnezzar. Notice the I problem, not E-Y-E, capital I. Notice the I problem. Nebuchadnezzar said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? Really, Nebuchadnezzar? You think you did it? How does that relate? Okay, I'm not a president. Look at this family I have raised. Look at this bank account I have built. Look at this business I have started. Look at this report card that I got all A's on. We can do it too. When the emphasis is the I, we be in trouble. Luke 18.21. Here's the rich young ruler. He was going to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, obey the commandments. And he says, I kept them all since my youth. That's a little bit of ignorance in there, isn't it? It's arrogance and ignorance. Really? Really? Ignorant because Paul really thought he did the same thing until he came to that last commandment that says, thou shall not covet. And then he realized, wow, it's not only what I do, it's what I think. And I failed. Rich young ruler says, I kept them all. I don't think he probably knew that that part, what he thought counts too. Here's the one on Satan, Isaiah 14, 13, and 14. Satan said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Who was Satan? He was the chief angel. He was the archangel. He was the number two man. Number two was not good enough for him. He wanted to be number one. Luke twenty two twenty four. There was a strife among the disciples. Now wait a second. They just spent three and a half years being apprentices under Jesus. They were preaching, they were baptizing, they were healing people, they were casting out devils. They followed, they gave up their occupations, they followed Jesus for three and a half years. They just had foot washing, they just had the first communion service, what we call the Last Supper. And then they go have an argument about who's the greatest preacher. I am the greatest preacher. Where'd that come from? I'd like to blame it on Adam, amen? Yes? The wife, the one that you gave me, your fault. She gave it to me, her fault. Everybody's fault except mine. Amen? There he is, I, I, I. I will be the greatest preacher. The way up is down, the way down is up. Second Samuel seventeen twenty three. Ahithophel. He's one of the guys that committed suicide in the Bible. He was an advisor 
He gave out some advice. And you know what? The king ignored his advice. And he says, oh, they won't listen to me. Look what he did. So he got himself home to his city. He put his house in order and he hung himself. If people won't listen to me, what good am I? And he killed himself. He was great-grandfather to Solomon. What if he hung around and he could have been advisor to his great-grandson? Think he could have done some good there? Nope, he needed to be big shot in front of men. No way would he do it. He'd rather die than take a lower role. And I got one more. Jonah, 4-2. Notice the eyes here. Jonah said, Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarship, for I knew thou art a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger. What a terrible God. Jonah was mad because he was slow to anger. He was merciful. And he was gracious. And he was mad at God for that. How warped can you get? What allows a person to get that warp? It's pride. I preached a message and I said they were going to destroy it. And you know what, God? You didn't destroy them. You made me look bad. So let's go back to the 1 Corinthians 13 antithesis. Let's read this again. See if you like this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have pride, I become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and do it pridefully, I am nothing. Well, wait a second. It sounds like you're talking about church people. Amen. Amen. You get a bunch of church people like that, you don't have a church. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and do it in pride, it profiteth me nothing. Pride is not long-suffering. It's impatient. It is unkind. Pride is a bully. It envieth. Pride is jealous. Pride fought, vaunteth itself. It wants to be front and center and everybody looking at him or her. Notice me. It is puffed up. Big ego. It behaveth itself unseemly. It seeketh her own. It doesn't seek the things of others. It's all about me. Pride is easily provoked, hypersensitive, any little thing. Oh, man, look what you did to me. And it thinketh evil. That's pride. You know what? I think I need to read this chapter correctly. So let me go to my Bible and go to 1 Corinthians 13. And let's read how it really goes. Because I want to leave you on a positive note. I want to leave you with a cure. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains, and I have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I thought given to the poor is charity. Not when you do it and you've got a great big check that's three foot by five foot and you've got all the photographers taking pictures of you and blasting it on all the front pages about what a great gift you've given. That's not charity. 
Verse 4, charity suffereth long. Charity is kind. Charity endeth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Charity is not puffed up. Charity doth not behave itself seemly. Charity seeketh not her own. Charity is not easily provoked. And charity thinketh no evil. Sounds like a pretty good cure to pride is charity. May the Lord help us as a child of God. May the Lord help us as a spouse to our wife or husband. May the Lord help us as a child or parent, as an employee or as an employer, as a member of a local church, show charity and absolutely attack pride with our full force and strength. And then you know what will happen? God will be glorified. Pride's never worked. The result or the consequence of pride is to be made low. I want to puff myself up, so I'm going to use pride? No. You do the opposite. You humble yourself and let God puff you up. That's probably the wrong word to put on God, but you know what I mean. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.